everyone. My name is Zachary Rodier, and welcome to episode 62 of 614 Check here on the Scarlet and Great Sports Radio Podcast Network. We have a great show for you today, and in this episode, it's definitely a longer one. We have a lot to get to. Um, we're going to talk about the Ohio State women's hockey team transfer portal, uh, and then a little bit of men's hockey uh, with Quinnipiac. And then we will get into Stanley Cup playoff predictions with myself and Ann Tokarski, uh, who was a great guest coming on, um, has done a lot of things in the women's hockey sphere. So we were able to talk about the transfer portal and, and then, of course, having that fun uh, with the Stanley Cup playoff predictions as well, because when this podcast will come out, the playoffs are already underway. I assure you, we did make these predictions before the game started on Monday night. And then we are also going to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets as their season comes to an end. They won a game this past week, so they do have the second best odds for the first overall and Connor Bedard. And then they made a change firing head coach Brad Larson and goaltending coach Manny Legacy not re-signing him there. So so we will first get into talking about the Ohio State women's hockey team and then the Stanley Cup playoff predictions on this week's focus. And then we will talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets and their firing of head coach Brad Larson after um, the sit-down interview with Ant Tokarski. So without further ado, let's get right into this week's focus with Ant Tokarski. Enjoy. Welcome back to this week's focus here on 614 Check as I welcome Ann Tokarski here on the podcast. And Ann, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course. So Ann's covered. Um, she was actually at Ohio State before going to Illinois and covers ECAC hockey with them as well. And and just tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into hockey and women's hockey specifically. Yeah, so I think I've told this story a couple of times before, but I really um, started watching women's hockey specifically around the 2018 Olympics. Um, I remember, I think that, what, that was one of the Olympics that NHL players didn't go to. And I grew up in Chicago, so I was pretty much a Blackhawks fan from the moment I was born. Um, but I remember like there weren't any NHL players there. So I was like, not super interested. And so I was like, oh, well, like women's hockey, like I'll get into that. And I remember I stayed up watching literally every game. Like they all started at like 8 p.m. And they went to like 1130, 12 on school nights. And I remember I think the gold medal game was on like a Tuesday. And I remember staying up to watch it and then like coming into school my junior year the next day and being like, guys, like the U.S. won. This is our first gold medal in 20 years. And like it seemed like no one in high school really cared because no one really cared beyond like high school sports at that point. Um, so it's something that I was like, well, if no one's going to talk to me about it. I want to get into it myself. And so that's kind of where it all started. Um, and then I started writing for the Ice Garden my freshman year of college when I was at Ohio State. And from there, I just got more and more involved in the community and got blessed with so many more awesome opportunities, whether that was going to the Frozen Four last year and getting to watch Ohio State win or going to Frozen Fenway this year. Um, being at an ice rink in Fenway Park was pretty cool with the ACAC too. So yeah. And I will say, I know you went to the... So did you go to Frozen Fenway for both men's and women's? I was only there for the women's day, unfortunately, because there weren't any ECAC teams um, competing 
on like in, like in the men's uh, slate of games that day. So I was only there for Harvard and Quinnipiac had um, one of the women's doubleheaders. So I was there for that. Okay, cool. Because yeah, I know everyone, especially when I went to the faceoff on the lake with Ohio State and Michigan this year, everyone was comparing um, the the attendances because it was crazy. There were fifty thousand people in Cleveland, Ohio, watching an OSU Michigan Ohio State game, and then you go to the men's Frozen Fenway, and there was the attendance was very different, nonetheless. Um, but no, so you were talking about the twenty eighteen Olympics, and that's a perfect segue into talking about. The new transfers for Ohio State, uh, where you have Kayla Barnes, Hannah Bilka, and then uh, Murkowski, along with Kelsey King, coming in as well. Um, but this is a team that I don't think, and we were really expecting as soon as the Frozen Four ended to go through a gigantic transformation like they are right now. Obviously, we knew that they were going to lose some very important fifth years in Emma Malte, Sophie Jakes, Madison Bizzle, and then Gabby Rosenthal and Peyton Levis as well. Um, but the freshmen, a lot of them leaving as well. Um, I believe right now six of them are in the transfer portal. Some of them have already committed uh, from Emerson Jarvis to Elena Giampietro. So what were your thoughts as soon as this uh, started to take place for Ohio State? Yeah, well, I think one of the first things was that I was a little surprised. But then when I looked into it a little more and started looking at like, like points and like ice time, it kind of became a little more understandable. Um, also, I imagine Nadine talked to her players about like, oh, we see these players in the are in the transfer portal and we want to bring them in. I'm going to be honest with you with these new players, you might not get more ice time going into your sophomore year. So I wonder if that was also a factor just in the fact that, you know, you come to Ohio State and you come you come to play college hockey. You know, you don't come to be on the hockey team and sit on the bench for more than a year for your entire career. So I feel like it was about doing right by some of those players who did enter the transfer portal and also doing right by the team itself as a whole, because as a team, your goal is to win championships. And Ohio State already has won. They went back to the national championship game this year and lost, sadly. Um, but I think it's just really something I've learned from following this team for so long is that Coach Nadine really does care about the players and cares about giving them opportunities. So obviously, well, I don't know for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of one of the reasons for the departure of the freshmen, especially since they are bringing in so many fifth-year transfers. Um, it would just make sense to me from that standpoint. Yeah, and that definitely makes sense. And I'm sure when the season gets back around and we can start and hopefully have Coach Muzzerell back on the show to to really ask those questions. But I think specifically when it comes to some of the forwards uh, that are freshmen, it definitely made sense uh, for sure. The one surprise for me was um, Emerson Jarvis. She was, out of all freshmen besides Alundine and Matthews, she was the one that was really starting to get some ice time uh, in some of the Bemidji State and Minnesota State games. Uh, but So her transfer to uh, Quinnipiac definitely surprised me a little bit. Um, but Sydney Moreau um, was a player that really surprised me of transferring. Um, dressed for a majority of the games, obviously not getting the ice time this year, um, but with Sophie Jakes and Madison Bizal leaving, that definitely added some more opportunity um, for her to, you know, get some more ice time on this team. And specifically when asking Coach Muzzerell at the beginning of the season, 
on this show what fans should expect um, from Emma Peschel and Sydney Moreau. She said she thought they were the two best defenders in uh, the class of, um, you know, that freshman class in the entire NCAA. So what were your thoughts on when Moreau entered the portal and now uh, she's leaving to uh, Colgate? Yeah, I mean, I would say I was a little surprised, especially because, you know, once you get a player that has been on the U18 team and has represented their, you know, their country at the international level, she's probably someone you kind of want to keep and make happy. But again, you know, probably knowing that someone like Kayla Barnes, who has so much experience on the international stage, is going to come in. um, I don't know, it might just be a little frustrating from a player standpoint, knowing that this was my time to shine and now I'm there's going to be some more moving parts and I might not get that ice time that I was promised or the ice time that, you know, a player feels they deserve, especially given all of their hard work and all of their history. Um, But I mean, Colgate's lucky to have her. I'll say that unabashedly as someone who works with Colgate and who works with the ECAC. um, They haven't announced who's returning for a fifth year there yet, but either way, that team was so dominant this season, Um, back to back to back. Back to back. Yeah, sorry. Had to make sure I got all three Um, ECAC tournament championships. You know, they're going to want to keep that going. And I think she's a great ad for them. And Ohio State's loss is probably going to be their gain. But it's a good thing, I guess, that they don't play in the same conference. And then the other aspect of this all is you have all these players coming in and Bilka Barnes, Murkowski, and then Kelsey King, which we'll get to in a second. Um, But then the different aspect of it as well is you're going to have these fifth years coming in and they're going to make a huge impact on the team next year, no doubt about it. But then once they graduate and run out of NCAA eligibility, those players like Jarvis Moreau, who would have had another two years to be with the team, now you have another gap that you're going to have to fill in incoming freshmen or other transfers. But at the same time, the the COVID years are starting um, to dwindle away as well. And we're even seeing players deciding not to use it anymore, um, like Brooke Bank and Tegan Grant as well. So how is that impact specifically the Buckeyes, but, you know, just all around the NCAA? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I've seen it talked a lot about just on Twitter in general. People, you know, there's some people who favor the route of investing in your future, investing in your incoming classes, but for Ohio State specifically, um, you know, I think they're looking to win now. Every team is looking to win now. You can invest in your future, but I mean, Coach Nadine has been doing that for her entire tenure at Ohio State, and she's getting results with what she's doing. So while, you know, it might be disappointing for a lot of players who wanted to buy into that process, Everyone has a role and everyone got those opportunities. I mean, so many players have found homes elsewhere, places they'll be get the ice time they deserve, places they'll continue to win titles and win games and win championships and play important roles in that. Um, that being said, knowing how Nadine has recruited in the past, I'm, I have full faith in her that this program isn't going to go anywhere after after Barnes, Bilka, King graduate, after their fifth year is up, I think I think the titles and the wins are still going to keep coming from Ohio State, even with the departure of so many, so much of that freshman class. And then one thing I want to also put in there as well is RMU is coming back as a program that at, and that's Robert Morris University, of course, that adds another team into the mix. 
uh, that can create a little bit of chaos in the transfer portal as well. A GM Petro already committing there. What is adding a team uh, into the NCAA women's hockey sphere this year do um, to just change things up a little bit? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting specifically in RMU's case because they pre- they did previously exist. Obviously, they were reinstated, like you mentioned, but it's a little bit of a different story having a team be reinstated versus like an entirely new team come, um, just like Stonehill did a couple seasons ago or last season and just like um, Assumption College is going to do in the upcoming season too. They're, those pro- programs are being built from the ground up at the Division One level. Whereas RMU already had kind of a base to build upon. And while so many of the players who, you know, had to find another place to play after the program was um, dissolved, like most of them were older. They're probably not going to be able to stick around. They don't have much time left or much eligibility left to play college hockey. But I think the really interesting thing about RMU specifically this season, knowing all of the transfers they've, gotten from the portal is they are going to have so much experience they got a lot of fifth years they got a lot of other upperclassmen from the portal and I think that's really going to make a difference for them especially as a team that has been historically in the upper echelon of college hockey America I think that's going to be really great for them and also maybe a little scary for some of the other schools who might be afraid that they're going to lose players to another talented team that's making a comeback That's very interesting. So now we've talked about the players that are leaving Ohio State. Let's talk about the additions. Obviously, you have the freshmen coming in, uh, which there is a lot of hype around those players. Um, But now let's start with um, Bilka and Barnes. The Frozen Four ended a few days later. All of a sudden, you have these two huge players and Kayla Barnes and Hannah Bilka coming in. That news was definitely shocking right away. It was some of the first commits in the NCAA transfer portal. And you start to wonder, when did Ohio State and Coach Muzzerell have the time to do this recruiting when they were in Duluth uh, getting a Patty Kazmaier award for Sophie Jakes and then uh, a runner-up in the national championship? But what do those players bring to Ohio State? Obviously, um, you have two... Olympic experiences for Barnes and uh, obviously a ton of experience from Bilka as well. Barnes and Bilka both just winning the world championship yesterday. Uh, We're recording this on Monday. So a lot of experience to this team fills the holes you need from uh, Rosenthal and Levis on the top and then also a Jakeson Bizal loss on the bottom as well. Yeah, so I mean, I'll admit, I was like shocked. Never in my wildest dreams when I saw their names in the transfer portal did I actually think they'd come to Ohio State. I mean, you know, there's always that hope. Um, But I think especially like Ohio State's dominance just the past couple of years, whether that's a final face-off trophy as WCHA tournament champions, whether that's, you know, obviously the national championship, whether that's the fact that they've developed players like Sophie Jakes, Liz Shepherds, Tatum Skaggs into these amazing incredible players whose careers are probably still on an upwards trajectory um I think there's a lot there that's attractive to new players especially players like Kayla Barnes and players like Hannah Bilka who have played in Hockey East um and haven't really had much room to battle um specifically in Hockey East knowing that Northeastern is kind of the perennial contender they're going to win the Hockey East championship they're going to get that auto bid into the national tournament 
and then just the strength of the conference overall from there it's it's I've heard some people say that you know these two players were sick of not winning not winning hardware when there's Kayla Barnes who is so competitive you know she has so many trophies so many medals and then she chose a college honestly she she deferred her freshman year to go to the Olympics like that's obviously really impressive but then you come back from winning your first Olympic gold medal the teams the program's first Olympic gold medal in 20 years and you're like I want to keep winning and then you go to a school like Boston College who obviously they're so talented there are so many amazing players on that roster but Hockey East is Northeastern's conference and there's not really much you can do to change that other than you know hopefully siphon some of their players away through the transfer portal or just you know a stroke of luck so I think Ohio State's winning culture and just the overall locker room culture that they've established here in this program is obviously important and super attractive to players in the transfer portal um, just in general and then you know just to have players of that pedigree join Ohio State like those are household names in women's hockey um, I think it's really impressive I mean like people even who don't watch college hockey know Caleb Barnes and Hannah Bilka so I think that's really cool and obviously you don't want to you know compare players back and forth and will they be able to fill that exact void or anything like that um but specifically you know i think the center position for ohio state is something that's really important this year um because you do have some freshmen coming in as well but gabby rosenthal and emma malte and mckenna webster were all centers in those top few lines then you had sloan matthews who was showing great strides on that third line but when it came to the face-offs of course not comparing to anything that gabby rosenthal was doing over like 65 percent on the face-off draws but you know especially with mckenna webster not going to be able to join the team right away again due to being at field hockey the center position is something really important there as well um where do you think um that they're going to be able to fit in and try and fill that void a little bit. I mean, I think that's a little tough to say, especially because, you know, you can always, you can always shuffle the lines a bit, have wingers start, you know, playing at center, see how they do on face-offs. And I know, I mean, there are teams everywhere that have their wingers practice face-offs just, just in case, just in case their center gets, you know, kicked out of the circle, just in case anything could happen. They want to shuffle lines. They want someone new to take face-offs. So, I think it's going to be a lot of experimentation going into this season, just knowing that, you know, you have a lot of new pieces to work with. You have a lot of new players to work with, a new bunch of new skill sets to work with. Um, I think it's kind of a question mark right now, but I also think it's important to remember that every season is a new season. You know, there's going to be a couple of bumps and bruises at the beginning, and there's going to be a lot of trial and error. But if there's one thing I've learned from watching Ohio State, it's that it all comes together in the end. It all comes together in the right way, in a productive way. So I'm pretty confident that, you know, maybe the first couple of games, the first few weeks won't be perfect, especially without McKenna Webster. as She, you know, like you mentioned, plays her field hockey season. Um, but I'm confident that at least at the bare minimum, by the midpoint of the season, there will be some success there and there will be some answers for the people who have been wondering about that. And I think, too, um, Jenna Buglioni is a player um, that did take faceoffs at times uh, in the past few years and has filled that 
position here and there, uh, especially when uh, Rosenthal was hurt. And then, of course, Buglioni missed a few games as well. Um, but I think that could be one part of the solution there. Um, but, of course, we'll have to see how the freshmen uh, come in as well. Let's now talk about Murkowski. Um, where does she uh, fit in? I know she is uh, from Clarkson ECAC team. Um, so what have you seen from her um, that you think will uh, be brought to this Buckeyes team? Yeah, so I know when we talk about Sophie Jakes, obviously there's a lot about how she's such a great two-way defender. You know, she's defensively sound, but she also scores like so many goals, is such a playmaker. And I wouldn't say Stephanie Markowski fits that exact same archetype. Um, she's definitely a lot more geared towards playing defense and strictly defense being pretty pretty solid in the back end. Um, that being said, she did set a career high in goals this season. Um, I think she scored maybe nine, nine or ten. Um, and at least two of those were game winners. Um, probably the most momentous game winner of her career that I remember watching this season um was the one she scored like 30-ish seconds into overtime in the ECAC tournament semifinals and that you know that was against Yale who were like the undisputed number one team throughout you know most of the regular season and sort of beat them in overtime um I want to say Clarkson came into that tournament as like a number four seed playing the number one seed obviously that's pretty intense and then you know to win go to the tournament championship game um I just think she's she's done some amazing things, whether that's scoring goals, blocking shots. Um, I think she has 82 block shots this season from when I last checked. So she's very reliable, very responsible in her own end. And I wouldn't say she'll fill Sophie Jake's shoes exactly because, I mean, you look all across the country, no one can really fill those shoes that big. But I think she's definitely going to be an important part of the Buckeyes back end this season. I think, too, you know, obviously Sophie Jakes winning the Patty Kazmaier gets a lot of the fame and everyone's talking about her. Madison Bizal did such an amazing job for this Buckeyes team as well. With them as a whole line, sometimes Jakes would, you know, I've called so many ga Buckeye games in the past two seasons, and I don't know how many times I've said Sophie Jakes at the hash marks or right in the blue paint because she was all over the ice every single time and every time she had that puck on a slap shot. It was either in or it missed the net. Like it, it, it was one. Like most of the time, the goalie wasn't saving a shot like that. Um, but I think, do you think a, a Murkowski Barnes line could turn out well, or do you think it it may you know mix with uh, some other players there as well? Because also you are losing uh, Tegan Grant and then Sydney Moreau uh, in the back end as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting question because originally I would have said like you know, maybe I would pair some of these transfers or these incoming players with, you know, players who know Nadine's systems, know the Buckeye systems, know the team a little bit better. But, I mean, when you look at it, there weren't really many of those defenders defenders left on the team. So I would say Markowski and Barnes could be good together. I think it's going to be a lot of – there's going to be a learning curve for all the new players on this team, especially just because there has been so much turnover. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think – you know, it's always fun to try new things out. And especially given that, you know, there are going to be some games at the beginning of the season and probably against lower seeded opponents or opponents who aren't nationally ranked. I think that's a good place to try some stuff out. And now getting to the last uh, transfer that's come into the Buckeyes so far and 
for all we know, we could post this podcast tomorrow morning on Tuesday and another transfer comes in. But Kelsey King, um, when things were starting to slow down a little bit, I was starting to think that she could be a good fit for this Buckeyes team as well. Staying in the WCHA knows that type of style, uh, which is a little different from ECAC hockey and some other, especially uh, when it comes to NCAA tournament time, you know, sometimes some broadcasters or other people will be like, well, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, they're playing a really physical game when that's just regular WCHA hockey. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you think she's going uh, to fit into this team? Will it be a little bit easier transition compared um, to some of the other players that are coming in from different conferences? Um, That's a good question, especially just because, I mean, we've talked about how this team is going to change so much. But, I mean, Kelsey King, having played against Ohio State for four years already, she's going to know a lot about how they operate, how they play, you know, what their goals are on the ice. Um, so I think she has a little bit of an advantage over some of the transfers from other conferences. Um, I would also say just she knows the WCHA style of play a little bit better than, you know, Barnes, Bilka, Markowski, just because she has played in the WCHA for so long. Um, and I think being on Minnesota State, especially, you know, some teams, um, some iterations of that team that have been really good the past couple of years, especially with Kelsey King on those rosters. Um, I think she's going to have a lot to prove on this Buckeyes team, but I also don't think she'll be, you know, like I don't think she'll be the odd one out. I don't think she'll feel like she's not producing. I think she'll be able to, you know, fit into the role that is assigned to her. I think she'll be able to do what she came to Ohio State to do, which I imagine is win another national championship. Now, something that's really interesting as well with this Buckeyes team is obviously we don't know if all the transfers in the portal right now are going to leave. It could be possible um, that some of them do end up coming back. Um, But it does seem right now that there could be an extra spot or two that are still up in the grabs right now. Still looking at the portal, who do you think could also be a good fit uh, for this Buckeyes team? Oh, there are so many players in the portal that it's hard to pick just one. Um, maybe not for Ohio State specifically, but one player that has stood out to me is Calla Frank. Um, she also played at Minnesota State, actually. She's a goaltender, though, so I don't know if Ohio State really needs another one of those. Um, but, I mean, I've watched her for two seasons. She's so good, and the fact that she's transferring along with Another goaltender from Minnesota State, Emerald Kelly, is going to be super interesting, I think, um, for Minnesota State and for the rest of the WCHA, honestly. I mean, going into next season, I think Ohio State has Teeley, Kirk, Secreto, and I think that's it, maybe? They may, they may have Quinn Koontz as well. Okay. Um, she, yeah. she, oh, may, she may be staying yeah. with Ohio State for a fifth year. Yeah, and then, I mean, that's four already. You don't really need more than four. I would argue you might not need more than three, but, I mean, it's always good to have goalies in practice and have them getting reps. But if there was any spot open for Kelly Frank, I would say she would be one of the players I would want to see in Scarlet and Gray. Otherwise, I mean, I don't know. A lot of the players from the ECAC have already been snatched up. I mean, Shailen Snow, I'm pretty sure she is – Going to Robert Morris for her fifth year, I would say she's a good, great get. Um, 
there are a lot of players from Hockey East. There are a ton of players from Merrimack who are in the portal. Um, they're leading scorers in the portal, which, you know, might not be great for them, but could be a great pickup for someone else that, you know, wants an additional, an additional boost to their offense. So I think there are a ton of people left, and I wouldn't be surprised if Nadine isn't done adding. And we're going to have to see how it all turns out. And I think also what's really interesting is seeing how all these transfer additions really add up in the WCHA because you have Wisconsin, of course, winning the national championship. And it was their freshman class that really helped propel them. And they're going to be a really deep team for another three or four years. Really dangerous. And, you know, for a while it was... Ohio State and Minnesota could start to trend back to an Ohio State-Wisconsin rivalry there because, of course, Minnesota still has a lot of great pieces, but they lost, uh, obviously, Taylor Heisey's a big part of their team, the Weathingtons as well, uh, and I thought they were going to be a little bit more active in the transfer portal compared to right now, it doesn't look like they've uh, got anyone from the portal yet, Um, so how do you think that shift is starting to move a little bit as well um, in the WCHA? Yeah, I mean, Minnesota and Wisconsin have always been two of those top teams. And it's only recently that Ohio State has really, you know, dethroned them for the top number one or number two spot. Um, I mean, I would say the WCHA is another one of those leagues where there is, you can usually pretty much tell who the top four teams are going to be and who the bottom four teams are going to be. Um, but I think specifically in Minnesota's case, what interests me a lot about them is they're losing two goalies. Um, Michaela Paul retired and Olivia Kings in the transfer portal. Um, they have Skylar Vetter. They have, um, they have another player they signed like late last season, I think after Paul was injured. Um, I can't remember her name. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I think it's, um, the last name is Johnson. I know that. Um, but, you know, you never want to go into a season with only two goalies, um, especially given one of them gets hurt and then what are you going to do? Um, so I think they're going to be interesting to keep an eye on. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if Califrank ends up there just staying in Minnesota. Um, another player in the transfer portal that I would love to see come to the WCHA is Lucy Morgan, who has been who was back to back ECAC hockey goaltender of the year. Um, not this year, but the previous two seasons. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, she's from North Dakota. So I would say, you know, playing in Minnesota wouldn't be too big of a stretch. And she's a really proven goaltender. I think every team would be so lucky to have her. Um, so she, she's someone who I would like to see, ideally Minnesota add, um, maybe not Minnesota, you know, if I want Ohio State to keep winning. But I think they're... There's definitely going to be a shakeup in the WCHA this year. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Minnesota kind of has to compensate for losing so many of their great players. And whether that's to a a lack of eligibility moving forward or players retiring, deciding not to take their fifth year or transferring out, um, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think this season is going to be a really interesting one. And then you have St. Cloud State. Um, who's really coming on the rise, uh, especially at the end of the season with Coach Adolski. Um, you still have UMD that's always getting in there, and St. Cloud State, you know, are they going to make the final faceoff next year? Probably not, but it looks like they're rising as well, and they have a great coach uh, with Joel Johnson, and then it starts to seem like 
Bemidji is the team that's starting um, to drop down a little bit in the WCHA. But like you said, Minnesota State losing some players as well. They could as well. So it, it's going to be very different. Um, but I know, you know, any game in the WCHA is always competitive. You always have to play your A game because uh, if you take your foot off the gas pedal at all, uh, you know, it could quickly uh, come back to bite you. Uh, and I think that's going to be a learning curve for, you know, Barnes, Bilka, and Markowski coming in, but also, you know, a bunch of the freshmen, uh, you know, wanting to play uh, big minutes and some of the freshman forwards, uh, they're going to have that opportunity with uh, Webster being out for field hockey um, at the beginning of the season as well, which I will say, it's still a little weird uh, <laughs> to get used to. Like, I think it's awesome that she's doing both sports, uh, but it's weird when you're talking about the team and, you know, it's very weird in the NCAA because it's almost like a trade deadline acquisition uh, when you're bringing in a player like midway through the season. Uh, and then you have myself and others guessing when she's going to come in. Um, but I, I specifically remember with Webster last year, she played a field hockey game on Friday, played ice hockey on Saturday and played on Sunday and got like a combined like five or five points or something like that in all three of those games. Uh, so, I mean... She is definitely one of those transfers that came in for Ohio State and really showed the success um, and a lot of value for this Buckeyes team. Yeah, I mean, her her case specifically is so wild because, I mean, Ohio State field hockey has been nationally ranked, um, you know, this past season. And obviously, Ohio State women's ice hockey has too. And then when you look at Webster specifically, you're like, okay, Yes, yeah, she represented Team USA at the IIHF U18s. Um, she also represented USA field hockey at the U17s. So you're like, honestly, this entire school is just so lucky to have someone like her who's, you know, willing and able to devote time to two incredible, like, stacked teams. And I just think that's really incredible for her. Um, obviously, it does – it's not – not the best that, you know, she can't come in until the middle of the season, but it's still exciting to have a player of her caliber and a player who, you know, has the work ethic that she does on the team. And I think now that she knows and Coach Mazzarol and then um, the coach with field hockey as well know how it's all going to work um, mm -hmm. coming into this year will help a little bit because I know when we were actually asking Coach uh, Mazzarol early in the season, she's like, I don't know how it's going to work and when she's going to play and how it's all going to go down. So now that they have a year under their belt and they know how it's going to work, because yes, you're a two-sport athlete, but you're a two-sport athlete with overlapping seasons. Uh, it's not like you're playing field hockey in the fall and then softball in the spring. It's like two overlapping seasons. Uh, so <laughs> that is definitely an interesting uh, one for sure. So before we wrap up uh, women's hockey, are there any other thoughts that um you have with this team? Obviously, you know, the team's starting um to get a little older, you know, your juniors and seniors, uh, and they will, of course, have fifth years, but now you're having this new freshman blood that you thought was going to be a really big class now thinning out a little bit um, due to the transfer portal. And then you have some great freshmen coming in as well. How do you uh, think um, this is all going to turn out? Yeah, um, I mean, just one thing I will say is that I am really excited for, you know, the freshman class that's coming in and going to start playing next year. Um, I think it's just four, it might be four forwards or like three forwards and a yeah, D. Yeah, four but forwards. 
honestly, from what I've seen, three of them are, um, you know, have played at the U18 level, Joy Dunn, Jordan Baxter, Jocelyn Amos, and then you have Delaney Fleming, who played at USA Hockey Nationals with Shattuck, and, you know, they won, they won Nationals in their age group, and I was lucky to catch um, a couple games of that just by virtue of my friend having her sister on the team. Um, and Fleming was lights out during that tournament. You know, she was one of not only the team's um, top scoring players, but she was also the tournament's top scoring players. So that was really exciting and really promising, just knowing that, you know, we Ohio State is getting players of that caliber. And, you know, everyone wants to add like U18 players and just know that like they have, experience um at such a high level but then you also have to look like there are kids from prep schools there are kids from high schools who are coming in with so much talent um they're competing against some of those very same u18 players at the club level and you know they're performing they're putting up numbers they're doing amazing things so i think ohio state has a lot to be excited about for this upcoming season um I mean, nothing's nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's promised. You have to work for every win. Um, but I'd be surprised if there wasn't a they didn't finish towards the top. And I actually I have one more question, and this one you're not going to be able to answer. Um, but um, you just had the World Championships, and you have Team Canada. When is Sophie Jake's going to get a chance there? Because obviously, you don't. You don't know where she's going to end up, uh, especially with, you know, how women's professional hockey is working right now with two different leagues. Um, but it just seems when you have the Patty Kazmaier award, you've won that award. And then you can also ask the same question with uh, Gabby Rosenthal and Peyton Levis and all those players. But, you know, Sophie Jakes having the Patty Kazmaier award and showing herself that she has all that talent. Obviously, it could have been that, um, you know, academics and things like that she couldn't leave campus that could definitely um be a reason um but when do you uh think that uh, she could um go in the the red and white for canada yeah that's a question i've been asking myself for so long i mean she got invited to i think her first like senior team like camp um at the start of the season and she wasn't even put on the development team roster or she might have been on the development team roster, but then didn't get an invite back to like any, any, you know, world's camps or anything. And I was, I was really surprised at that. I mean, she's one of, honestly, like I went back and looked and there's maybe three or four other Patty Kazmaier award winners that don't have any experience for their national teams. And, you know, she's only the second defender to win the award. And then you have just so many other players in the league or in the NCAA who, Obviously, they're so deserving of their chances at the national team. But then you kind of got to wonder, like, when is Sophie's chance going to come? I mean, she's proven herself time and time again. And there's so much talent to compete with, especially on Team Canada's back end. Um, I think her development kind of came at a bit of an unlucky time. You know, she turned into this amazing player so rapidly just because of her work ethic and all the work she put in. But at that point that she was making such a splash, you know, that was when Team Canada already had, you know, Claire Thompson, Ella Shelton. They were they were really running with those players. And I think it's kind of just gotten to that point where you're like, well, they don't want to not trust the defensive core they've already built. 
So I would say she might just have to wait and keep playing and keep keep proving herself before she gets a shot. And selfishly, that's why I'd like to see her keep playing professionally, um, whether that's with the PWHPA or in the PHF. Um, personally, I know some people who are really, really pushing hard for her to go to the Toronto Six um, just because she's from Toronto. And I think that'd be really cool. Um, but I think it would also be such a shame and such a such a sad day for the hockey world if she does decide to hang up her skates for good. But, you know, every player's got to do what's best for them. And I mean, she has she has a civil engineering degree, so I know I wouldn't want to let that go to waste. So. Yeah, so we will see how it all turns out and we'll see how. The Ohio State women's hockey team uh, turns out as well with their transfers. Uh, thank you so much, Anne, for talking about that. Now let's uh, move on. Of course, you did men's and women's hockey for the ECAC. Uh, Quinnipiac winning their national championship. Of course, they have a great women's hockey team as well, Emerson Jarvis. And I definitely remember that triple overtime game that I called this year with them and Penn State. I think I'm still recovering from calling that game. But what is the men's hockey team? They had a lot of success, obviously, their coaching staff and everything. But it seemed like they just had to run through Big Ten teams uh, on their way, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, and then uh, Minnesota. But what makes their team so special? Yeah, I mean, I think just watching them is like they are a team that really focus focuses on and emphasizes like family and like brotherhood and then like hard work on top of all of that. I mean, so much of that team is upperclassmen, whether it's juniors, seniors, graduates or fifth years. Um, they're just players who are committed to the program and committed to believing in the system that Coach Pecknold has built and you know, believing in the team and the players itself. I think so much goes into that, just like buying in. You know, we hear a lot with Ohio State women's hockey about all these players who bought into Coach Muserall's like philosophy and her way of doing things. And I think Quinnipiac men specifically have been doing that for years. And it was just time that, you know, there was nothing stopping them. You know, they couldn't be stopped. They wanted to do this for their fifth years. They wanted to do this for their head coach. They wanted to do it for their fans and, you know, they were really lucky, but they also had a lot of talent and a lot of hard work on the ice that really paid off. And I think with Quinnipiac too, uh, the men's team, it really shows you, you know, it's always that hockey cliche. You have to play a full 60 minutes of hockey, um, but they played a full 60 minutes of hockey in that national championship game. Minnesota took their foot off the gas pedal just a little bit and not quitting whatsoever getting that tying goal. And once they tied that that goal, you kind of you kind of knew that Quinnipiac was probably going to get it done in overtime. At least I did. Um, and that was a pretty incredible goal and celebration at the end. And actually, if we're going to talk about comparisons, Ohio State's final face-off championship win um, two years ago when Sophie Jakes got it just a few uh, less than a minute in onto the overtime game and they, they tied it up very late. All those types of games is you could just feel it a little bit uh, with Quinnipiac at, at the end there. Yeah, it actually. Um, although obviously the Quinnipiac National Championship happened more than a week ago, when I was watching um, the USA preliminary game against Canada Worlds, I was like, "Oh, like you have Hillary Knight, you know, scoring to make it a one goal game. Then you have Amanda Kessel scoring with three seconds left on the clock to force overtime, and then." No one scores in overtime and Canada eventually won in the shootout. But 
it's just those kind of games that you're talking about. You know, I feel like there are a lot of teams who they'll see that they have an advantage, whether that's a two goal lead or, or more or one goal lead even, and they'll let up just a little bit. And that's kind of where their opponents need to know that when they let up, that's when we stay strong, we keep going. And I think that really showed with Quinnipiac this year. Of course. Okay. So it is now time. Uh, we, of course, in this show, I'm going to give my predictions of who I think the Stanley Cup champion is going to be in. Um, you have time to walk through it together right now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'll, I'll just say it's okay. I, we've had guests do this before and you're never going to get it right, of course. Uh, unless maybe, maybe, Anne, you will be the one that, that gets it all correct uh, once and for all. But let's go through it here. Let's start with the Eastern Conference. Of course, this is talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'm really glad I did not make my predictions yet um, because it now seems like the Boston Bruins are having some injury bugs, some illness as well. Um, so let's start with their uh, series versus the Florida Panthers. Obviously, Boston, the best team ever in regular season history, points-wise, win-wise. Who do you have winning that series and in how many games? Okay, so one of my very best friends is a huge Panthers fan, mostly just because of Matthew Pichuk. But I honestly think even with all of the injuries to the Bruins, I would say Boston's going to take that series. But I will say it'll take like six or seven games. It won't be just like, you know, a sweep or like a four and one and done. I think it'll go to six or seven games. And I think eventually it will be Boston. I don't want to be the copycat there, but that that's kind of, that's kind of what I was thinking. Obviously I, I live down in Florida now. So I, I think, you know, you always have to remind yourself that the blue jackets swept the Tampa Bay lightning in four games. So it's definitely possible if Florida is going to win this series, I think it would be in a sweep fashion before, uh, let's say, Omark and, you know, all the players don't come back uh, if they are injured and don't play tonight. Um, but I think, you know, it eventually it, it's going to go to Boston's way. I'll go six games. I'll go six games uh, for Boston. Now let's move on. Uh, you, we were talking before the show that th this is going to always be an interesting one. Toronto versus Tampa. Will the Toronto Maple Leafs finally make it past the first round, Anne? Uh, you know, like, part of me is, like, why would I even bother, like, betting against, like, historical precedent just knowing that they haven't made it out of the first round in so long? So it's, like, you know, why would I bet against that? And just, you know, feeling personally a little naive by saying, like, oh, well, this is their year. Every year, I'm like, this is their year. And then it's not. Um, But this year... This year, I'm going to say it. This year is their year. They might not make it past the second round, but they will beat Tampa in six games. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I still don't think they... I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you always have this hype from Toronto, and you see it there, and I think if Samsonov can play well for the Toronto Maple Leafs in goal, then it'll give them a chance. And... Uh, uh, but... You know, then you have Andre Vasilevsky, who's just once it becomes playoffs, he plays differently. And I think this is a hundred percent going into seven games. And then I think you just hit that mental block if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, if it goes to seven games, you can never get over that hump. So I'm gonna personally go Tampa there. Um, and look, if it's finally Toronto's year, fantastic. It turned out. 
Um, but I'll I'll have to go with the president on that one. Uh, so now Carolina, New York Islanders. This is a really interesting one. Um, what are what are you thinking here between the top team in the Metro and the wild card seed in the Islanders? I would say just for the sake of like knowing how good the Canes have been this season, I would go them in six games. I don't know because like I'm always I feel like. I make a lot of picks right, but then when it gets to like predicting the games, I'm so far off just because, you know, obviously it's one of those things that you can't ever predict. And I would argue I I made my March Madness bracket so fast. I was just I was just picking and I was like, oh, they have a nice logo. I like their colors. Um, I did finish in the top of my bracket challenge for men's March Madness. But um with the Stanley Cup, it's so different, you know, because it is a seven game series. It's not you don't like have upsets because if there are upsets they have to be super sustained you know you have to take it to four games at the bare minimum um so with this one i guess i'm just gonna say canes in six or five i'm gonna go canes in seven i think the islanders will definitely make this an interesting series and i think i wouldn't be entirely shocked if the islanders do pull off the upset um but i do think when it comes to brenda moore and the rest of that carolina team there's just a toughness about them when it comes to playoff time um, that I continue to like them in the playoffs every year. So I'll go with them. Uh, New Jersey Devils, New York Rangers. This is going to be a fun one. Yeah, personally, just for the sake of like looking, observing on Twitter, I hope this one goes to seven games. Um, I follow a lot of Rangers fans. Um, I don't follow a ton of Devils fans, and if I do, I feel like I might have them muted on Twitter, but that's not the point. Um, personally, I'm hoping Rangers in seven, um, but for the good of NHL fans everywhere, I do hope, no matter who wins, I do hope it goes to seven games. I think this is going to go seven games for the Rangers, too. Uh, I don't know why I'm just picking so many. Uh, I'm just picking so many right now of <laughs> game sevens, um, but I do think... I like the Rangers, you know, Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin coming back together. Um, that's really dangerous. Tarasenko as well. Um, so I think that's cool. Uh, and I, I think that will pay off. Too bad the Rangers don't have two home ice advantage because a game seven in Madison Square Garden would be really fun. Um, but nonetheless, let's move on to the Western Conference. First time ever the Kraken are in the playoffs in the first wild card spot. They're taking on a little bit of an injury-bugged Colorado Avalanche team. Uh, who do you think is uh, going to come out there? I think it'll be the Avalanche, but I think it'll take, you know, more than a few games. I think it might go to six, might go to seven. Um, just given that they are injured, I think I would be a little bit surprised if Seattle, like, I mean, I don't think Seattle's going to sweep, Um but I would be surprised just a little bit if they did come back. I think if Seattle were to win, it would have to go to a longer series. Um, but just knowing the Avalanche and knowing, you know, they won last year, they have so much. They just have a lot of star power. And even though they do have so many injuries, I'm going to go with them. And I hope I don't regret it. I, I think I'm going Colorado in five. I just think. The Kraken are a very deep team, which can do well in the playoffs, but the playoff experience is not completely there um, mm -hmm. compared to uh, necessarily where the Colorado Avalanche are always at. So I'm going to go with them there. 
Uh, what about Dallas, Minnesota? That's going to be a uh, really fun one as well. Yeah, this one is so interesting to me specifically because, I mean, I haven't watched a ton of NHL hockey this season just by virtue of, you know, when I'm at home with my parents, like it's just, it's on. Whenever it's on, it's on. Um, but here in college, not having cable, having to watch on ESPN or just look at Twitter for updates, you know, these are teams I haven't really been paying a ton of attention to. Um, but just by virtue of Jason Robertson, I'm going to go Dallas. I'll go Dallas in seven games. Um, what about Vegas, Winnipeg? I think it'll be Vegas. I feel like Winnipeg, just from what I've seen from Winnipeg fans, they seem like they're struggling a little bit lately. Um, With and you know, Vegas, as well. Yeah. Um, Vegas has been, you know, pretty good. They're always pretty good. They have been pretty good. So I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled it out five, six. I'm going my first sweep. I think it's going to be Vegas in four. I, I don't know. I just, I've always been high on Vegas when it comes to playoff time uh, since they made it uh, to the conference final or the Stanley Cup final in their first season. Um, now, Connor McDavid and the Oilers versus the LA Kings. I'm going Oilers on this one. I think maybe five games. I feel like this is like one I could confidently say a sweep. But I feel like every time I say a sweep, I just jinx the team I pick. Um, so I'm going to say Oilers in five games. I'm going to go Oilers in six. Jonas Corposalo, who was traded from the Blue Jackets to the Kings, he's very good playoff time. Uh, so I think he, if he gets the start for the Kings, could definitely um, cause Connor McDavid a little bit of a trouble. All right, so now I had um, Boston versus Tampa. In the second round, which would be fun. I'll go with Boston, um, making it past and into the conference finals. Uh, you had Boston and Toronto, um, which also would be a really fun series. Um, is that one going to seven games? Uh, I would say Bruins in like maybe six. If it does go to seven, it's hands down, it's going to the Bruins. Like, you know, the Leafs just like they play the Bruins in a game seven, and it's like, oh, well. You've lost the game before it's even started. So if it does go to seven games, absolutely the Bruins. Anytime before that, it could be anyone's game, but I'm still going to go with the Bruins. Okay, and then we both had uh, Carolina and New York, um, which would be another really good series. I'm getting really excited about the playoffs now. Uh, Carolina, New York, uh, what are you thinking? I'm thinking New York. I mean, no quit in New York, but also I just feel like you know, the goaltending with Carolina has been really hot lately, but also it's the Rangers. I feel like playoff time is always a completely different beast, and especially like you mentioned with, with Kane and Tarasenko and Panarin, I kind of got to give this one to the Rangers. Okay, I was going to go Carolina, and then you brought up the goaltending and reminded me, uh, and Igor Shosturkin is hard to beat. So I'll also go with the Rangers, so... We have Boston and New York both agree on in the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's move back to the West quickly uh, and then wrap this up. Uh, Colorado versus Dallas, we both had, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take... Hmm. It really depends on if Colorado gets Kale McCarr back. Um, mm-hmm. That's the question mark. If they get McCarr, I'm going Colorado. If not, I think it's going to be more of a toss-up, but uh, I don't know. That's a, that's that one's a tough one. What are you thinking? 
I would say Dallas in seven or maybe six, just because, I mean, I feel like injuries are always such a wild card. And I mean, Dallas has been like quietly really good or at least quiet on my timeline. I haven't heard a whole lot about them um, outside of like, you know, Robertson, Heiskanen, just everyone on that team. I feel like I hear more about like players versus the entire team. Um, So I would say Dallas could maybe take Colorado, maybe. For the sake of being different, I'll go Colorado. Um, But what about uh, Vegas and Edmonton? You know, I think in like the actual bracket I have made, I have like Edmonton going to the final. But now that you mention it, I don't know. I feel like Vegas might be able to pull it off. Um, so I'm going to go with Vegas in seven. Interesting. I, 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 like I said, I always like Vegas in the playoffs, but Connor McDavid, I, I feel like, I feel like Connor McDavid, Leon, that, that this could be their year. Um, obviously question mark in the goaltending a little bit. Um, but I, I think they're, I think they're going to the Western conference finals. So we're almost there. Boston, New York. Uh, who do you have making it to the finals? I hate to say it, but I have Boston. I mean, I honestly just don't really like cheering for any Boston teams, but I think the season is getting to be a little bit hard to deny just how good they are. And I mean, I know there's the president's trophy curse, but Honestly, if anyone could overcome that, it would be this Boston Bruins team. So sadly, I'm going to go with them. I'll go with them too. I just think when you get that close and you have all your veterans there that they only have a few more years left, that lights a little bit of a fire in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's who I'm going with. Now, you had Dallas and Ed, and no, you had Dallas and Vegas. Um, so mm-hmm. who do you think uh, will make it to the what the or the Stanley Cup Finals, sorry. Out of those two teams, I feel like, I mean, we'd be lucky with either of them, I would say. I'm just, just for the chaos, I would say Dallas. I don't actually think, I don't honestly think either of these teams are going to make it all this way. I just think, you know, there's so much that can go that can happen. But personally, I would like to see Dallas in the Stanley Cup Final. Okay. And then I had Colorado Edmonton, and I think Edmonton makes it to the finals. Uh, so that gets you um, to Boston versus Dallas. Who's your champion? It pains me to say this so much, and I'm sure oh, any no. of my Leafs fan friends are going to like loathe me for this. Um, but I'm doing Boston in like five. If they're playing Dallas, I would say Boston in five. Okay, so your Stanley Cup champion is Boston. I'm really excited for if it does become an Edmonton Bruins I've been thinking about this for a while. I I just think if Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl get there, I don't think once they're in the finals, I just think he's going to do something we've never seen in our lives before. I don't know. I, I'm just feeling it a little bit. And I feel like it's always the easy choice to just take like Boston in this, in this case. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Edmonton winning the Stanley Cup this year, um, which – you know, half the Canadian in me would make me smile a little bit that the cup would go back to Canada. Um, but, and you had the Bruins, so uh, we'll see how it turns out. But, and thank you so much uh, for coming on. We really covered a lot, women's hockey, men's hockey in the NCAA, and then finished it off with some NHL uh, fun as well. Uh, so thank you so much uh, for coming on. How can everyone uh, follow you and what you're up to? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm most active on Twitter. My username is Ann Tokarski. Tokarski is T-O-K-A-R-S-K-I. Um, no underscores, nothing, no capitals, just Ann Tokarski. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the only place I'm active. Otherwise, if you want to toss, you know, the ECAC a follow there at ECAC Hockey or if you want to follow along with women's professional hockey, I do also work for the Connecticut Whale in the PHF, and they are at CT Whale Hockey. Awesome. Well, thank you uh, so much. We're going to see which one of us were correct or both of us wrong in the Stanley Cup playoff predictions. Uh, we'll see how the women's hockey uh, team for Ohio State and the rest of the portal uh, comes out. I feel it's always the podcast curse. We're going to post this. And something crazy is going to happen in the next few days. Uh, but, Ant, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this week's Focus with Ann Tokarski. And, Ann, thank you so much uh, for coming on once again. Uh, and we covered a lot in there. So there's not much more to talk about besides getting into the Columbus Blue Jackets. So their season came to an end um, this past week. They played Philly on Tuesday, losing 4-3 to in overtime. And then they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins at home on Thursday and then falling to Buffalo 5-2 to end the season on Friday. And because of that win, they did not secure the best odds in the NHL Draft Lottery. That was Anaheim. They ended 32nd in the league. But the Blue Jackets still having around a 13% chance to get the first overall. They are guaranteed a top four pick, um, which is great for this Blue Jackets team. So they're guaranteed a Bedard, Fantilli, uh, Leo Carlson, or uh, Michikov. So really, really solid players there, or a Will Smith as well. Um, so the Blue Jackets are definitely going to be in good hands. Um, if they do have that luck with the lottery, um, then that would be fantastic for the team, but they are still going to get a really high-end prospect nonetheless. So now, uh, definitely the big news is the Columbus Blue Jackets parting ways with Brad Larson, uh, their coach, and they uh, let him go. And then they decided that they would not re-sign the contract of Manny Legacy, um, the goaltending coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. You could definitely tell I knew uh, with the Canon Digest episodes, I was, uh, we were talking, of course, to Brad Larson after the game on Friday. You could sort of tell that he knew that uh, he was not going to be returning as the Blue Jackets coach uh, when he was talking about you know, the honor it was to be an NHL head coach and that he doesn't take it for granted and all that. So I definitely knew and felt like that was coming the next day. And so I wouldn't say I would be surprised at all that this happened. Um, but of course, there was a lot that happened with this Blue Jackets team this season. You had horrible injuries on to their team, a lot of unfortunate things going on. So you can't always, you know, you can't blame the coach uh, for that one, but definitely it can come to culture and where this team wants to be in the next few seasons. And it's definitely understandable why um, the Blue Jackets did make this decision. They want a culture shift. They want to change. They never want this season to happen again. 
And just getting a different voice and something going on there uh, definitely makes sense um, for their team. And it's going to be interesting who they bring in um, for the Blue Jackets. Depending on where the lottery ends up, there could be a lot of people that want this head coaching position. Elliot Friedman on his podcast, 32 Thoughts, uh, said that he thinks that this could be a sneaky good job that coaches are really going to want because it's a team near the bottom right now that has the biggest potential um, to change things quickly and become much better, uh, especially just because of how the injuries turned out this season. Um, So I'm really excited to see how this turns out. Uh, I think the Blue Jackets are going to want someone with a different culture, um, could have definitely argued that Brad Larson was more of a player's coach. And then, of course, you had Tortorella before that was a very different style. So finding a different coach with a new style is going to be really uh, interesting and important. Uh, and we will see how it all turns out. But I think that the biggest thing um, that's really interesting is the many legacy firing. Um, and I think that at this point, it it's was kind of... You kind of had to feel like it was coming. Um, you know, obviously the biggest question mark, in my opinion, for the Blue Jackets right now is the goaltending. Uh, can Elvis Merzlikens come back to this Blue Jackets team in a bigger way next season? Obviously, he had some injuries as well. Um, but that's going to be a really important topic. Uh, and the relationship that Legacy and Merzlikens had was very close. Uh, and Maybe they just want to change that up a little bit. I think as well as, you know, the head coach position is really important uh, for the Blue Jackets to get that one right. But goaltending is really important. Uh, and getting that goaltending coach position right is going to be crucial um, because that's the biggest question mark. And Elvis Merzlikens has shown his talent and how good of a player he can be. Um, but... Right now, he hasn't showed that as of late, and a new coach is the only way to see if, you know, of course, you can have um, that talent come through. Uh, is it he going to be able to recover and get things done? Uh, and that's what's going to be really interesting um, to see how it will all play out. Um, so the Blue Jackets, they, um, of course, had their exit interviews. They are fully in off-season mode. Uh, and then three weeks, the NHL draft lottery on May 8th is when the future of their franchise could be changed. So that was this week's focus. We're now going to take a quick break and then get into the rapid headlines and college corner. Let's get into the rapid headlines in College Corner here on 614 Check. A few things to talk about College Corner-wise. Uh, Tony Pettit, he is the new Big Ten commissioner that impacts the men's hockey team. Uh, and then we talked a little bit about it with Ann as well, but uh, Emerson Jarvis going from Ohio State to Quinnipiac uh, and Cindy Moreau going to the Colgate Raiders. Um, when it comes to the... NHL. Uh, we do know Jonathan Taze uh, played his last game as a Blackhawk this past week. Uh, he will be moving on. The Avalanche ruled out Ca Captain Ga uh, Gabriel Landeskog for the entire playoffs. We know that um, Swayman and Olmark won the William and Jennings Trophy uh, for the goaltending tandem this year. We also know that the NHL is 
Anaheim Ducks will not be bringing back Dallas Eakins uh, this coming season. The Penguins firing uh, hockey ops uh, Brian Burke, GM Ron Hextel, and assistant GM Chris Pryor. We also know the Capitals uh, and Peter Laviolette, their head coach, have agreed to mutually part ways. Uh, the Cleveland Monsters did not make the playoffs um, in the AHL. We also do know, of course, that uh, USA Hockey uh, won the IIHF Women's World Championship. Uh, the Bruins are dealing with a bug in the locker room. Bergeron, Allmark, and others are Game 1 decisions. Uh, and as it goes on for the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs for the um, Boston Bruins. We also know the Flames announced um, that they uh, have agreed to mutually part ways with GM Brad Treliving. Um, Don Maloney promoted to Hockey Operations President and Interim GM. Uh, we also know Mark Stone activated off LTIR, and he will play Game 1 uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights uh, against Winnipeg. So, enjoy the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm excited to see how it all turns out. So, without further ado, let's get right into the outro. I hope you enjoyed episode 62 of 614 Check here on the Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio podcast network uh as we welcome ann tokarski on the show and then uh a lot of great things as well with the ohio state women's hockey team the stanley cup playoff predictions and then uh everything else uh regarding the columbus blue jackets make sure you follow us on social media instagram and facebook and twitter at the handle at 61 for check for check spelled f-o-r-e-c-h-e-c-k uh, but my name's Zachary Rodier. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on episode 63 of 614 Check next week. Thanks.